Well, good morning, New Life Church. Some of us been up very early this morning, but I'm sure it was all worth it. Wonderful to witness those people getting baptized this morning. As um, Brother Ray prayed, keep, keep them in your prayers, um, that they would honor the Lord with their lives and this testimony of faith um, that they have professed this morning. If you turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, we continue our study this morning in this letter, and we have been going through this passage uh, verse by verse, um, doing expository preaching, and this morning uh, we are going to be looking at verse 11 to verse 18. So we've already seen in this letter that John has given us a series of tests of how we can identify what authentic biblical Christianity looks like. And he does it for a number of reasons. And firstly, so that we are not deceived, um, and then we can know for sure who are true believers. Um, last week, we learned from uh, verse 28 in chapter 2 to verse 10 in chapter 3, uh, the application of one of these moral tests that he gave to us. And he makes it clear that a righteous life is different. It is a distinguishing mark of one who has truly been born again. So that was a, an, an, a way to identify a true believer. And the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminds us last week that we are loved by God and that he purchased our redemption at a great cost to himself and God adopted us into his family and that we need to remember who we are in Christ. And if we do that, we would remember, we would be um, encouraged to live a holy lives. So remember who we are in Christ and how that identity distinguishes us apart from the rest of the world. And it must continue to help us to do that. So this week in our text, John is going to apply another test of what biblical authentic Christianity looks like, and that is the moral test of obedience to Jesus, which of course is the the social test of our love for one another. And if we get weary of hearing over and over about the need to love one another, we should remember that John wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he was called the Apostle of Love. Whenever he would get up to preach, this is the message that he would preach, that we need to love one another. And I think the Apostle John um, understood our hearts, and we this morning can examine ourselves, because our constant default mode is really to revert to to a selfish way of living, not a, a loving way to live. So this is, again, a very practical passage for us as believers. So turn with me to chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 18. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that this is your inspired word. We're not reading a novel here this morning or even a history book or a textbook. We are reading the inspired word of God. So we pray that the Spirit would open our eyes and help us to learn what is recorded for us here today. Help us, Lord, also not just to be hearers as we read here, only But help us, Lord, to to be doers. Help us not just to be talking about love, but help us to be living it in our lives as well. Help us to be reflecting Christ the way that we should. So please teach us this morning, Lord. We we fail, and just as we looked at, Lord, we we revert to our default mode, which is selfishness, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to learn how we can overcome that this morning. And that we would be a church, Lord, that displays the glory of our Savior, that loves each other in a very selfless way, the way that you loved us and sent your Son for us. So teach us, Lord, how to love properly today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the question this morning I want to start with is, what is love? There are many songs that have been written about love. Jennifer Lopez sang a song, Love Makes the World Go Round. Uh, Joe Cocker, he wrote a song, Love Lifts Us Up Where We Belong. The Beatles sang, All You Need Is Love. And the Righteous Brothers sang, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. 
And we could list thousands of more songs that speak about love. But what do we mean when we talk about love? You know, often people speak of love as a, an emotion. Uh, but what do we mean when we talk about love? Uh, Wikipedia describes love in the following way. Here's their definition. They say, love is any of a number of emotions related to a sense of strong affection and attachment. And the word love can refer to a variety of different feelings, states, attitudes, ranging from generic pleasure to intense interpersonal attraction. This diversity of uses and meanings combined with the complexity of the feelings involved makes love unusually difficult to consistently define, even compared to other emotional states. End quote. The main emphasis on that definition was, of course, our emotional states, our emotions. But what we find in the Bible is something very different. And there are four definitions for love in the New Testament. And the first way that, that love is used in the Greek is the word phileo. And phileo is the most um, generic type of love. It's a general type of love used in the Scripture, which talks about our love for our fellow humans and our care and respect and our, and our compassion for people in need. There's another Greek word used for love to describe love, which is uh, the word storge, which is the Greek word storge. And this is, this is affection, which describes a, a family type of love and a, an affectionate bond that develops between parents and children and brothers and sisters. And then there's the, the Greek word eros, where we get our English word erotic from. And this is the word for, for lust in the Greek. It's a word for essential or romantic type of love. Um, and this is the Greek word, um, as I mentioned, that we, the, in the English that we use for, for an erotic type of love. And then there's the fourth word for love, which is agape love. And this is the perfect type of love. And this is the love that describes God's love for us. It defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. And it's a divine love that, that comes from God. It's not um, an attribute of humans at all. But agape love is perfect. It is unconditional. It is pure. It is sacrificial. Um, and we see this word love used in two different ways in, in the Gospels of John. In verse 16... Um, when our, our Lord's interview with Simon, the son of Jonas, after his resurrection, Jesus asks him, Lovest thou me? And Jesus uses the Greek word agape. And when Simon answers, he uses the Greek word phileo. Yes, Lord, I love you. I have an affection for you. But it wasn't that same type of love that Jesus was talking about. So Jesus Christ is the one who demonstrates for us what biblical love is all about. What agape love should look like. And the way in which he displays love is, is foreign to us. It doesn't come naturally. We, we are selfish. Remember, we, we divert to a, a selfish mode, um, which is not the agape type of love. 
Agape love is, is a much deeper thing than just emotions that we feel. It's not just our sentiment. It's not our infatuation with, with somebody. Um, you must have heard over and over again, boys and girls that fall in love and then they fall out of love. That's not agape love, okay? In fact, the only thing that we fall over are stones, okay? We don't fall in love and we don't fall out of love. We should choose to love. It's a verb. It's an action. Um, it's not a sentiment. It's not an infatuation. So John points us this morning to Christ to tell us and to show us what true love is and, and how it is different from hate. And remember, John gives us comparisons throughout this book. And he compares love to hate. And John Stott um, summarizes our passage in the following way. He's a, um, a great Bible teacher, and he, he summarized this passage. He says, Hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. So love characterizes the church, whose first example is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. So with this basic summary in mind, let's consider our passage this morning in greater detail as we consider um, our theme for this morning. So my first point from verse 10 to verse 13 is the illustration of love. The point of this passage um, is given to us in verse 10. Look there with me, if you would. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So John is telling us what a true believer looks like. We've already established that last week. Um, but he is enabling us to distinguish the one whom he calls the child of God from the other whom he calls the child of the devil. We talked a little bit about this in our home group last night. John understands the biblical teaching that not everybody is going to go to heaven. He's not a universalist. He understands there are people who are going to hell and there are people who will be in heaven. And he distinguishes here. He tells us to practice righteousness. Those who are God's children, those of us who are going to heaven, we need to be practicing righteousness. And the ones who are going to hell are the ones who don't want anything to do with, with righteousness. They will practice sin. So he wants us to see something specific about practicing righteousness this morning. And the child of God, he tells us, is the one who loves his brother. And this is a test. It's a social test. He wants us to see and discern, again, what a true Christian looks like. And he tells us it is the child of God who loves his brother. The mark of the world, he tells us, is hatred. But the mark of the church is love. Completely different. No mixing oil with water here. And this is a, a nice clean statement that he gives to us. 
But as you think about it, you have to ask, you know, is this, is this really true? You know, I've known some wonderful, loving unbelievers. And I've also known some real scoundrels who are in the church. Not in this church, of course, okay? One author, he said it well. He said, we've all met people who claim to be Christians, but frankly, you'd rather snuggle with a porcupine than try to get close to them. I'm sure you can um, relate to that at some point in your walk with the Lord. So how do we process what John says here in the scriptures with what we actually experience um, in our day-to-day lives and activities with people in the church? Well, hopefully that question will be answered as we, we work through the text. But once again, John calls his church back to the the public message that we have heard from the beginning. And he brings us back, and he's mentioned that already in chapter 2, what we have heard from the beginning. In verse 11, he says that. And this is, remember, the opposite of the message of the false teachers. And the false teachers were teaching that Gnostic message that they had something new, some new revelation, some mystical revelation that Jesus never taught. So they wanted people to listen to their false teaching. And John is reminding us, go back to the message from the beginning. Go back to the apostolic teaching. Go back to what was there even in the Old Testament. And John's antidote to to save us from these false teachers is to remind Christians of the word of life who was from the beginning and became flesh and was manifest in the flesh. Remember, Jesus came with the message of life in and through his, his name for all who believe. And he commands us to love God. And he commands us to love one another. This is the basic Christian message. And what the false teachers were propagating was a new message. It was a new religion that, that had no life, that had no light, and they had no love for one another. And the basic message of Christianity does not change. It's been the same. And a, an essential part of this message was that we need to be loving one another. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13, if you return there with me in the gospel, John chapter 13, verse 34, he says to them, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in our passage, John is teaching what Christ had taught him. Remember, John was the apostle that, that put his, his head on, on Jesus chest that sat with him that touched him so he's not teaching anything new he's teaching what jesus taught him and this is evident he tells us this is evidence of the fruit of our salvation that we are children of god by our love for one another one commentator he says love is not an option for a christian Love is not to be held hostage by our changing emotions. 
Love is an attitude that we cultivate and a pattern of behavior that we embrace. And I love that definition because as we looked at previously, the, you know, the music and Hollywood and the world gives us a totally different understanding of what love is. And we need to be intentional in our love. It is a biblical love. This is something that we choose to do. It's an attitude that we need to cultivate, just as we looked at last week. It's something we need to be practicing, making sure that this pattern develops, this pattern of behavior, as we love people that might be difficult to love. But before John goes on to speak about love, he first speaks about hate in the children of the devil with Cain as the very example. Remember, he's given us these contrasts. He's given us these examples to help us understand what he's teaching us. So look at verse 12. He says there, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. So John says that Cain was a, he was a child of the devil. And Jesus said a similar thing Uh, To the unbelieving Jews, remember in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, he said to them in verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, talking about Satan. But once again, John speaking here in comparisons to teach us, to help us understand. Remember the contrast that he's given before. Uh, Love, hate, talks about practicing righteousness. He talks about practicing sin. He talks about Christ. He talks about the, the antichrist. He talks about confessing Christ. He talks about denying Christ. He talks about light. He talks about darkness. He talks about eternal life and he talks about eternal death. He talks about love for the Father and he talks about the love for the world. All of these contrasts. And he gives us a wonderful contrast here this morning. Those who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. So here we find that the first example of the church is Christ, and the first example of the world is Cain. Two contrasting examples. But let's look at the illustration of love, because John draws a a contrasting illustration here. On the one side there's Cain, And it's interesting, he says in verse 12, we should not be like Cain. So you think about some of the qualities and the characteristics of this man, and John is saying, don't be like that. Don't be like this man. Remember, Cain was a murderer. Isn't it astonishing that the first person born into this world was a murderer? Now, how more graphic could the Bible be in its description of, of the pervasiveness of sin as a consequence of the fall? And he gives us Cain here as a, as a description. Remember, the fruit of her, her womb is now a murderer. And the Bible doesn't tell us why it was that Abel's offering was acceptable to God and Cain's offering was not. Maybe it may be that, that Abel offered a blood sacrifice and Cain offered the fruit of the ground. It could be. Or it could be, it may be that, that Abel understood the way of salvation and the way of forgiveness. And that without the shedding of blood there was no remission of sin and that's why he offered a, an animal. Maybe it was that Abel understood the way of faith. 
Maybe he understood this picture of the sacrificial lamb. He understood the gospel and Cain did not. We don't, we don't really know. Um, it, it could be, it, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, that Abel offered his offering by faith and by implication Cain did not offer it by faith. Um, so it could be an issue of faithfulness. But either way, the point of the passage is that Cain killed his brother. Cain slew his brother, slaughtered his brother. Um, and that's the word that we have here. The word that John implies here is a very graphic word. And John is literally saying there, he cut his throat. He cut his throat. He slew his brother. Uh, we can translate it as, as butchered, even the word butchered. Um, so a very graphic word he's given us. But Cain reveals himself as a child of the devil. Um, and Jesus said this about the devil, that he was a murderer from the beginning. And why did Cain kill his brother? Well, not because Abel was evil. Um, he's telling us, uh, we, don't, you know, we, we don't think of ourselves as evil. We don't put ourselves in the same category as, as men and women you know, who are in prisons and because they've murdered somebody. We, we don't think of ourselves as, as evil. But yet the Bible is saying, and Jesus is saying, and John is kind of emphasizing here, that if we've ever thought hateful thoughts about a brother, we've committed murder. And we looked at that in the, in when we studied the Ten Commandments. And John is saying, don't be like Cain, but be like Jesus. Um, notice verse 12 there in chapter 3. Because his deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. So there was, a, there was a, an essence of jealousy here. There was envy, which turned to anger, which turned to hate, which eventually culminated in murder. And that's how Cain is described. That's how he is characterized. And you think about that, and we might say, we might be tempted to say, well, it's a good thing there are not too many Cains in this world today. Well, John tells us, be careful of thinking like that because this world is filled with people who are just like Cain. Who are just like Cain. Look what he says in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Hatred and murder still exist today. It's still very much part of our broken and fallen society. And this leads to my second point in verse 14 to verse 16, the test of love. Let me read it for you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So the media recently has been filled with stories of murder, especially with the, the Los Angeles shooting, where a gunman shot dead 12 people, including a police sergeant at a nightclub in Los Angeles. And I'm sure many hear of such stories of murder, 
And they think to themselves, how could anybody murder another person? How is that possible? But what John teaches us this morning is that it is very possible. You know, murder goes much deeper than just doing the, the physical act. And that's what he's, that's what he's going to now. The, the, the issue of the heart, the heart issue. Look what he says in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And when we looked at the sixth commandment, we saw this clearly. Those who even have thought of murder, thought of the act, have already done it in their, in their hearts. Jesus taught the same thing in the New Testament on the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at that when we studied the sixth commandment. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus and John teach us that God doesn't just despise the physical act of murder but that he also hates the very root and the cause of murder, which is in our hearts, which is, which is envy, which is hatred, which is anger, which is revenge. All these things are murder in, in God's eyes. So indeed, you know, sinful anger is crouching at the door, and it does desire to rule over us. It desires that we fall into this type of sin. But we need to be ruling over it. And that's what John is speaking about this morning. He tells us, do not be like Cain. Do not let anger enter into your hearts. Do not let bitterness feed your flesh. Do not feed the desires of the flesh, but rather starve them, kill them, mortify the flesh. Hatred and anger and jealousy, remember, are characteristic of the family of Cain. He is of the devil. He is from the world. That is what the world acts like. It's not what Christians act like. It's not what Christians are characterized by. One of the evidences, and he tells us here, one of the chief evidences that we are children of God is that we bear the opposite fruit, the opposite fruit of Cain, the opposite fruit of the world. Notice with me then, the love of Christ and the church. John says in verse 14, look there, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So whoever does not love abides in death. Look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the evidence that we are children of God is that we bear the fruit of love in our lives. There's not just to be an absence of hatred. We mustn't just not hate. But we must be actively choosing to love Practicing intentionally this characteristic of sacrificial love. 
There must be a presence of love in our lives. We may at times sin in our anger, or we may um, speak out in, in, in a rash tone in, in, or some type of a rage. But these things are contrary to what the Spirit wants us to do. And that is why he tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Remember the illustration of the pig and the sheep. We are not to be like the pig who, who enjoys the mud, enjoys the dirt. If we fall into these sins, we are to be like the sheep who hates it, who gets out, who confesses his sins and continues to walk with the shepherd. So these types of sins that we struggle with, that our flesh struggles with, we are to be mortifying them. These things are to be put to death. We are to be starving them so that we can walk with the Spirit. And these are disciplines that we need to be practicing. The Scripture tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that describe you this morning? When people see you, do they see the fruit of Christ in your life? Or do they see the fruit of the world, the fruit of the flesh in your life? When people see you, do they identify you as a child of Cain, a child of the devil? Or do they identify you as a child of God? Remember, there's no oil and water here. It doesn't mix. And so the dominant characteristic of a child of God is one who has a love for others, especially the church. And if you want to know what love is and if you want to be motivated to love others, John points us to the perfect example who is Jesus Christ himself. He is the supreme example of love. Look what he says in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So love is not just an emotion, despite what all the, the music lyrics would want to teach us. Love is not a feeling. It's not falling in love and falling out of love. Love is a choice. It is a choice. It is a verb. It is an action. It is a doing word. Love, in its essence, is sacrificial. It is self-sacrificial. And love is the opposite of Cain. Love is the opposite of, of hatred. Hatred ends in taking another's life. Remember when we looked at the Ten Commandments, when we looked at the Sixth Commandment, one commentator said, the only difference between hatred and murder is opportunity. That is the only difference. That is the only difference that's separating you from the people in the jails is opportunity. So let's not live like the world wants us to live. Let's not live like the devil wants us to live. Let's not entertain this feeling of hatred or, or bitterness that may be tempting us to sin. Hatred ends in taking somebody else's life. But love culminates in giving up one's life so that another 
might live. This is, of course, the love of Christ. Completely two different examples there, isn't it? The love of Christ and the hatred of Cain. Two extreme opposite examples. But the reason Jesus' love is so amazing is that he didn't just give up his life for his friends. He gave up his life for his enemies. The scriptures tells us, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Turn with me to to 1 John chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. He says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is God taking the initiative. This is God loving us first. This is God who is the one actively involved in in loving us while we were sinners. Remember, folks, we deserved the wrath of God for our hatred of God, for our selfishness of other people and our hatred for others. We deserved the wrath of God. Don't let anybody deceive you. We were never good people. We were born in the flesh in this broken world. We were all at one stage very much like Cain. And yet, the scriptures tell us, God did not spare his only beloved son. Even though Jesus was righteous. God treated him as though he was a a murderous sinner so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and accepted in God's eyes. This is all God's work. He's the essence of love in the flesh, love incarnated. But before you can truly love others in the way that God loves, in a way that is pleasing in God's eyes, We have to receive this gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. His death was was not only an example for, for us to follow. His death was necessary. It was a payment for our sins, as John told us earlier. And in his sacrifice... We know he satisfied the the wrath of God for those who who trust in him. And we'll celebrate that in a moment as we partake in the Lord's table. So the first thing you need to hear this morning is this wonderful declaration that if you have put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. And you are no longer under the condemnation of God. You are no longer a child of the devil. But as a believer, we are righteous in God's sight, because the righteousness of God has been, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. So his death was your death, and your life is now in Christ. It is now hidden in Christ. And this foundation of love for others, of course, is faith in Jesus Christ. If our faith is not in Christ, we will not be able to love others the way Christ loved them. We will just be moral, we will just be self-righteous, and we will fail at every point. We need to believe God's promise 
by faith. And then the fruit of love will be a product. Remember, Abel's offering was accepted because he had faith. That was the only reason. And so too will our sacrifice of of love for others, our service for others will be pleasing to God if it comes out of faith. We can't just we can't just try and and have faith in faith. We need to have faith in Christ. And that product of true love will be a result. So the only thing left for us to do is to come to the one who has already forgiven us, the one who has already shed his blood for us. And we are then able to love others. Not because we are afraid of judgment, but because we do it out of love. We serve out of love. We love out of love. And the love of God compels us to love others. There is a sense in which the death of Christ is an example. Remember, this is also a command. This isn't an imperative. We are... This is our duty. We need to be doing this as, as Christians. Um, let this mind be in you. You know, Paul says, a mind of self-denial for the sake of others, an attitude that isn't always standing on their, on their own rights and privileges. Remember in the upper room, uh, Jesus was talking about greater love with his disciples. And he says, greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. So John says to us here in, in verse 16, we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. We are to love them in such a way that we are willing to sacrifice our lives. Totally opposite of what Cain will do. He will, that type of anger will lead to, to death, the taking of a life. But as believers, we, we give our lives for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we are compelled to do. And this is what the children of God look like, he tells us. Don't be like Cain. Be like Jesus. It's interesting. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, um, this passage I'm probably very familiar with, the people who are in the marriage um, class Paul gives a similar command for the unity of the church. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 1, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant sacrifice to God. He says the same thing in Ephesians 5, verse 25, a few verses later. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he's addressing husbands here. And he's talking about us being willing to sacrifice our lives for our wives. Serving them. Being willing to love them to the point of death. You know, we stand up and we make a covenant before God when we're getting married. And we look at our bride and we say we would love them in sickness We will love them in riches when we are poor. And we say the same thing. We would love them even to death. But how many people really mean that? When the going gets tough, how many people end up breaking that promise, that covenant, because they are not willing to sacrifice 
to love sacrificially as Christ loved us. And they give up on their marriage because they don't love like Christ love. As believers, you know, it needs to be different. And it's a sad statistic. But it, from what we read, the difference in the church, the statistics in the church are no different from the statistics in the world. The divorce rate is the same. It should not be like that. We need to love like Christ loved, even when it's difficult. We need to have the sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ gave his life for the church. Christ shed his blood for the church. This is a sacrificial love. He gave himself up for her. And how then shall we live? As Christians, self-sacrificially. As Christ has loved us. This is the quality of love that we are called to. It's the opposite of Cain. It's the opposite of the world. This is the kind of love that, that magnifies the love of Christ. My third point this morning is in verse 17 to verse 20. My third and last point. The assurance of love. So look at verse 17 there with me. If anyone has this, world, this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So I'm sure all of us in this room at some point have seen a brother or sister in need. I think we all can relate to that. You know, maybe someone has been in need of someone to babysit their children. Maybe someone may be moving and they need help. Maybe someone needed even a, a ride to, to church. Or someone might need help with um, washing the dishes after, after a home group. Or someone might be in financial need who just lost their job. Or the church might need financial help with some need or ministry that they're involved with. But there are many ways in which we can love one another. There are many practical ways. And the truth be told, we may not all be called to sacrifice, sacrifice our lives for our, our brothers and sisters. But we all are called on a regular basis to sacrifice our time, to sacrifice our money, to sacrifice our resources in order to, to help our brothers and sisters in the church. And so John asks a question in verse 17. How does God's love abide in us? If we close up our hearts to our brothers and our sisters in need, how is that true of you? If you've seen a need in the church and you have closed up your heart, how then does the love of God abide in you? Is it true? In verse 18, he answers this question. He says, Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We've heard this saying over and over again, but it's a true saying. Actions speak louder than words. You know, and sometimes we, we send out prayer requests. Please pray for this brother, pray for this sister. And we think that's the best that we can do. There's a brother in need. Please remember them in prayer. And we should. We should pray for them. 
But what about seeing if you can meet that need before pushing it off just as a prayer request? Maybe there's a brother or sister who needs a visit in a hospital. Go and visit them. Maybe it's a brother or sister who needs some prayer. Maybe they need you just to come alongside them and to pray with them in their, in their time of need. Take the time. Invest in them. Sacrifice your time. Make time. Use the resources God has blessed you with to be a blessing to others. Actions speak louder than our words. And you know where actions truly speak louder than words? When you love someone whom perhaps you don't really like very much. Those porcupine people. You know, we say we love our brothers and sisters, but what about the brother and sister that you have trouble getting along with? I know of a church where a brother would walk down this side of the aisle so that he could avoid the other brother sitting on that side of the aisle. And he would do that for for years. And they would be in the church for years, not wanting to talk to each other, not wanting to resolve their differences. What about the people that are prickly? What about the porcupine people? And John switches here. Look, notice with me from the plural in verse 16. He uses the word brothers with the S. To the, to the singular brother in verse 17. Notice that. And John Stott, in his commentary, in the same commentary, he says, the transition from the plural in verse 16 to the singular in verse 17 is deliberate and it is significant. He says, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. That's a fantastic, fantastic quote there, isn't it? I mean, are we loving those people individually? Is the proof... In the pudding, are our actions speaking louder than our words? So as we conclude, let us examine our hearts this morning and and ask ourselves how we are doing at loving those who are hard to love. And you know, the one who perhaps gossips about you, perhaps the one who who never says hello to you, or the one that, that you don't have much in common with, or the one from a different culture, or the one who has no social graces, or the one who even may be out to get you, who wants to hurt you. Beloved, let us not merely love our brothers in general. Let's not just love those who are easy to love, but let us love each other and every brother and sister whom Christ himself has loved and died for. Let us not just love in word and talk, but let's love in deed and in action. I read a quote from a small girl by the name of Lauren, eight, a five-year-old little girl, and she was asked to give a definition of love. And this is her definition. She says, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. 
I'm glad she saw her sister's sacrificial love there. But how do we define love this morning? Are we being sacrificial or are we making excuses so that we don't need to really practically display this agape love that Christ has called us to? And this is what we are called to. Let's remember that it's God's children. Let's remember as brothers and sisters in Christ. The world is passing away with all of its hate, with all of its anger. But we are to love like Christ. And we know that we have passed out of this death into life because we love our brothers and our sisters. And where we fall short, let us be thankful to God that if any of us are in our sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And He is the propitiation for our sins. So let us continually seek our refuge in the righteous blood of Christ our Savior. This is the message of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we could be here for hours thinking of practical ways in which we need to be showing love. We could also be here for hours thinking of the ways that we have failed in showing practical agape love. And Lord, we pray the Holy Spirit, Lord, would apply this very practical message to us this morning. And that he would help us to see, Lord, where we have fallen short. And he would help us, Lord, to confess our sins to you this morning. And to call upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that we do have an advocate this morning. And we don't have to wallow in the mud of our sins. But, Lord, we can get up and continue on the path that you've given to us. Because we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would indeed help us to, to live lives that are pleasing to you, that we, we would practically display the love of Christ, that we would not just be hearers this morning, but we would be doers, that our love would be persistent, that our love, Lord, would be intentional, and that we would be a display of your grace to the world around us with a supernatural love that can only be attributed to you. So we pray for your help. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.